How are you guys? One good. I'm going to assume, you know, there's probably a spectrum of how we're feeling this morning, um, which is good, which is fine. Um, but very thankful for you to be here today. Uh, Pastor Mario, uh, you guys all look familiar, but for online, if people are watching, don't know who we are, maybe it's your first time visiting. Um, Pastor Mario here, I'm one of the pastors. If you're wondering where Sam is, Sam is taking a very much well-needed vacation. <laughs> and so if you will, just pray for him, pray for his family, that they're able to just kind of, you know, just kind of turn off the ministry mode for a second and just, you know, be with the family. Um, uh, but today, I'm excited to bring the message. And we've been in the book of 2 Corinthians. If you're not familiar or, or you don't know where we're at, uh, last week, Pastor Sam uh, talked and about eternal perspective, and we were getting a lot of this from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, we, Sam kind of spent a chunk of time on the end of chapter 4 and moved into the beginning of chapter 5, where Paul is talking a lot about our heavenly dwelling, resurrected bodies, all these things that we're not experiencing right now. It's not our reality right now. And Sam talked about the eternal perspective. Having that perspective and keeping that in mind helps us as we do the things that we're called to do here in this temporary space, this temporary home, the things that are important, right? We can't neglect work and we can't neglect the things God is calling us to do here, to raise our families, to reach out to our coworkers, to work well with our hands, to take care of ourselves and do the things we're called to do with our family, right? And so having that eternal perspective gives value to what you do here, right? And we talked a little bit more about that in our midweek video. But today, we're not going to be actually moving on to the next uh, section of chapter 5. We're actually going to reread uh, the very beginning of chapter 5, and we're going to pull out something that Pastor Sam wasn't able to get to, understandably, because it is a big topic, um, and it would just be, I mean, if you guys want to be here for six hours and talk about it all, you're more than welcome. I'm sure Sam would be thrilled, right? Um, but, understandably, we weren't able to get to it. So today, we're going to get to it, because Paul mentioned something very important in the, in the beginning passages of chapter uh, Beginning passages of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So, if you will, join me in prayer before we, before we dive in. <clears throat> Lord, um, we just want to pause before we open your word, before we go in, before we look at what you want to say to us this morning. God, we just want to pause and thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that you are a God who is close and who desires to be known and you make known your will to us. And so I just pray in this moment that as we sit under your word, as we listen and we engage, God, would you help us to not be passive in, your, in listening to your word? Help us to be active in our listening and engagement God, would you produce uh, what you want to produce in us as we look to your word? Um, whatever that is, whether it's challenge or encouragement or comfort or even just substance that we've been longing for as we read, Lord, would you just give us those things for your name's sake 
And so we thank you, Jesus. We give you the message. We give you uh, all of this. And we say this in your mighty name. Amen. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you want to stand, you are more than welcome to join me in standing as we read God's word. If you are unable to, that's totally okay. It doesn't make any... <laughs> it's just, you know... You know, you know what I'm talking about. All right. <laughs> so, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Oh, by the way, it's not going to be on the screen, so if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in front of you. Um, I think it's page uh, 9. This would help. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Luke. <laughs> the page number's on the screen. So here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, this body, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Verse 5, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. Five verses that we read last week, um, and we read a little bit more. We went a little bit more into it last week, but I want to hone in on these five verses more specifically, verse 5. Because I think in the church, um, like Big C Church, not just this church, Big C Church, um, we do, and I'm talking like Western, Western Church, we do very well in talking about Jesus and the resurrection and the cross and the need for Jesus, how everything points to Jesus, rightly so, because that's true. Jesus is the center of it all. And if we don't get Jesus right, we miss the whole thing, right? We also do very well talking of God the Father, talking of the way in which he loved us, that he sent his son to die for rebellious sinners who didn't deserve grace, and he poured out his love to us by displaying his love through Jesus as the sacrifice of atonement. And so we talk a lot about that, and we do well in doing that. But I do think that in all of that, we bypass an essential doctrine, which is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We bypass this very important person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And I think that many of us, we all come from different, uh, I guess, sects of Christianity, right? So I got saved in a Pentecostal church where people in worship would be up here with flags, and they would be, it would be going, it'd be a party, okay? It'd be, it'd be wild. And I love that church. I got saved in that church. That pastor poured into me like nothing else. He, he stretched me. He called me into spaces that I didn't want to go, right? It was a beautiful church. And the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit was very different from, you know, where we are here. And I've been in churches where people don't believe that the Spirit moves or speaks or, uh, you know, gifts people and does all these things. So there's a lot of different interpretations of like, okay, who is this person, the Holy Spirit? What does he do? Why is he so important for me and my life? 
What does it mean that God gave him to me and put him inside of me? We read that all the time. But what does that mean? <laughs> what does that even mean? And so Paul, in verse 5, this is, I'll read it again. He says, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. This isn't the first time that Paul has mentioned um, the Holy Spirit so far in 2 Corinthians. In chapter 1, verse 22, he, he says it like this. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, he says, He has also put his seal on us and given us the Holy Spirit in our hearts as a down payment. Okay, so for Paul, this was very important. Right? So he's, he starts off the letter mentioning the Holy Spirit, that he puts a seal on us, that he is the down payment for us. And then in chapter 5, he mentions it again in the context of talking about eternal perspective and all of these eternal realities that are not happening yet, but are going to be very real later down the road. And he talks of the Holy Spirit in two different ways, and we're going to unpack both ways today. And I think that Wherever you are in your understanding of the Holy Spirit, my hope and my prayer is that you would be encouraged that as a believer, you have been equipped with everything necessary that God is calling you to because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And so we're going to learn these two different ways the Spirit works in us. And, and it's not the only ways, right? First Corinthians talks about how he's gifted us and how everyone has a gift, and we can go on all that later. But... Paul speaks of two ways here in 2 Corinthians. So the, the first way mentioned in, in chapter 1, verse 22, Paul says he put his seal on us. He put his seal on us by the Spirit. And this, and I'm sure you've heard of this. I'm sure you guys have read your Bibles and you've, you've read like this idea that the Holy Spirit puts a seal on us. But what does that mean? What does it mean that the Holy Spirit has sealed you as a believer? And so before we kind of unpack it, let me give you a few more passages. Another uh, letter that Paul writes, Ephesians, he's, he talks about the Holy Spirit a lot in this letter. It's one of the central themes of Ephesians is the Holy Spirit. And so in, verse, in chapter 4, verses 29 and 30, this is what he says. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. In verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Earlier in Ephesians chapter 1, he talks about the Holy Spirit again. In verses 11 through 14, this is what he says. In him... We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance with his counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, Jesus, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Another passage that isn't specifically talking about the Holy Spirit, but it is specifically talking about this idea of sealing and kind of what it looks like. 
Revelation chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, this is what it says. Then I saw an angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth and do not harm the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So this is a very different context, right? This is, this is tribulation time. This is very different context. But the idea of sealing in God's perspective is the same. So this idea of sealing, as we could see from the passages, was this idea of marking, marking believers. God marking believers as children of God. And by doing it with his Holy Spirit, he gives his spirit and it marks us, seals us. The Greek word for this, the seal that he's using literally means to set a mark upon by impress or a stamp. So the imagery was that of a king or a queen. I know you guys know what I'm talking about, those like stamps that are really, really gooey looking, right? <laughs> they have those seals on, that they put on letters. And it was for two reasons that they did this. It was to authenticate the contents of the letter. This is really from the queen. This is really from the king. This isn't, this isn't some poser who's like, hey, I'm Queen Elizabeth and I think we should blah, 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 blah. No, it doesn't have the seal, so we're tossing that in the trash, right? It has the seal. This is definitely from the king. So it authenticates what's inside of the letter, but it also preserves the letter. Like, if a queen sends the letter, a letter, you better make sure that that thing is getting to where it needs to go, right? That thing is going to be preserved, and it's going to go where it needs to go, unless some, you know, God's sovereignty doesn't let it, right? But the idea was that the sealing authenticated it and it preserved it. And so in relation, as, as Paul is talking about this idea with us, as God gives us his Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit seals us, it's this idea that God marks us. He seals us into the salvation that we have believed, the salvation that is offered in Jesus and it authenticates our faith in him and preserves it. Authenticates it and preserves it. Now, you might ask, why does my faith need to be authenticated? Why does it need to be preserved? Isn't faith just trusting Jesus? Like, isn't that, like, it's just trust. Why does it need to be authenticated? Why does it need to be preserved? How does it be preserved? Well, the definition for authentic or authenticity is this. This is straight from the dictionary. There's no, there's no getting into the Greek or Latin or whatever. This is what it means. The degree to which a person's actions are congruent with their values and desires, despite external pressures to social conformity. So that's important. Despite the, social, uh, the, so the external pressures to social conformity. So to be authentic means that we don't change despite what is going on around us. We don't toss and turn to and fro despite the circumstances. Right? So God gives us faith. 
He authenticates it. What does that mean? In Peter, in 1 Peter, it says the testing of our trials actually proves the genuineness of our faith. That's what this is. That's, that's this idea of authenticating. What it is is when we place our hope and our trust in Jesus, we, we hear the gospel, we're like, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and rose again and has called me to life with him. He gives us the spirit who then makes our actions, makes our desires, makes our thoughts to line up with what we are believing. So, and this is why it's impossible to be a nominal Christian, to be a Christian who just says that I believe in Jesus and I believe all of it, but there's no fruit in your life. There's no, there's no evidence that you believe it. That's what we call nominal Christianity. I'm, I'm Christian by name only. And this is why it doesn't work, because you get tossed by the waves. Stuff happens, you're not rooted in God, and you're easily uprooted, right? And, but when we're given the Holy Spirit, he produces things inside of us that actually line up with what we are believing about God, what we're believing about humanity, what he has called us to in humanity. And so it's this, this beautiful evidence in Paul talks about it in Galatians, right? Who knows the fruit of the Spirit? Right? I'm not going to have you recite them, don't worry. <laughs> you guys got scared. <laughs> right? But the fruit of the Spirit, that's what that is. That's what that is. That is uh, the Holy Spirit producing in us things that authenticate our faith, that show and prove the genuineness of our faith. But not only does the Spirit authenticate it, and this is where we might get tripped up, and, it, and it's mind-boggling. But the Spirit also preserves it. It preserves it. So I gave my life to Jesus at 21 years old. I'm sure some of you guys have heard the story. But I gave my life to Jesus at 21 years old on the cusp of suicide. I was deeply in despair, deeply hated myself and attempted to hurt myself and end my life. And at the time, my best friend, who didn't have any idea what was going on, called me the next day and said, hey, you want to come to church? Very cheery, very happy, very, had no idea what, what I was thinking about and contemplating and trying and wanting to do, right? And he, I go to church, and I get saved in that sanctuary, that Pentecostal sanctuary, where a woman named Faithful from Africa preached the gospel. And she went around and she prayed for every single person. There was 120 people in that room. She went around and prayed for every single person. And she got to me and she didn't say a word out loud. And all I did was weep. All she did was come up to me, put her hand on me, and I just weeped. And I said, Lord, I will, I will follow you I will follow you. Um, now, there were things that happened in my life that still continued to happen. I was still very much addicted to pornography. I was still very much giving in to my sinful desires and very much giving in to the things that I gave myself into before Jesus. There were things that happened, the passing of my father, where I almost attempted suicide again after that, and after being a believer, 
There were other things that happened in my life that if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit preserving my faith, I 100% believe that I would have thrown my faith out the window. I would have, it would have been crushed by life, by my own sin. But because God has given us the Holy Spirit, he takes the mustard seed faith that we have. This is why Jesus says all you need is a mustard seed of faith. Because the Spirit can take that faith and preserve it throughout life's challenges, throughout your own struggle with sin, throughout all these things that come up, right? We sing songs like, I'm so prone to wander, my heart is so prone to wander, and things like that, like in these beautiful hymns that really demonstrate the fragility of our own heart. And if the Spirit was not, did not have a preserving ministry, I don't believe any of us would make it until the end. But it's because Jesus, by his Spirit, preserves us. He keeps us. He keeps us. That's why when you go through trials, you don't always end up, at the end of the trial, an unbeliever. That's the only reason. The only reason is because the Spirit preserved you in that. It's definitely not on our own works. It's definitely not on our own merit that we make it through that and still believe in Jesus. It's only because God gives us the Spirit and the Spirit gives us the power to persevere and to endure. And so Paul is encouraging his, his fellow believers, this church in Corinth, who is going through a lot of persecutions. If we read earlier in chapter 4, he says, you're perplexed, you are, you're all these things, but you're not given into despair. You are not crushed. You are not this. You are not completely abandoned. You are experiencing affliction but you are not totally forsaken by God. And the reason is because you have the Holy Spirit who is preserving your faith. And so, the Spirit places his seal on us. This is what it means that we are sealed into the salvation of Christ. But Paul, in chapter 5, he mentions this other aspect of the Spirit, this other thing that the Spirit does or is, it almost sounds like, it, like he is this, right? He says that the Spirit is a guarantee. He places his seal on us, but the Spirit also is also a guarantee. And in chapter 1, 22, he, he defines it as down payment. The Spirit is our down payment. What does that mean? <laughs> down payment of what? Right? Guarantee of what? Because when we understand down payment, right, we think of like buying a house and we're like, okay, I, got, I need to put like a down payment on the house in order to reserve the house and make sure I can get in there and then I'll pay it off with a mortgage and stuff like that, right? So that's how we understand down payment. In the ancient world, and I'm thankful for my wife for helping me like go into like the ancient world definition of this, because when I went in, it's actually interesting. So who puts the down payment when we are buying a house? The receiver, or like the seller or the buyer? The, the buyer, right? The buyer, the person buying the house, offers the down payment. In the ancient day, it was not that way. It was the giver, the seller, gave the down payment to the buyer, to the person who was being gifted this thing. Right? An example was like, say someone 
uh, wanted, wanted to hire like, uh, I, I guess an example I read was like a king who wanted to hire dancers for his, his ball or whatever. What he would do is he would give these people the experience first, like, like a taste of what they would be doing. And then in doing that, it assured them, oh, he's definitely going to give the full payment. He's definitely going to give the full payment because he already gave me the experience. He already gave me a taste of what I'm going to be receiving. And so this is the idea in the ancient day, in Paul's day, of this, this idea of the down payment, this guarantee. Craig Keener, professor of New Testament theology at Asbury Seminary, describes it like this. He says, this was no mere verbal guarantee. It is the beginning experience of what is promised. By experiencing the Spirit, we are experiencing a foretaste of the glories of the coming world of God's presence. This down payment, it was also called the first installment, right? So the first part of this full experience that was going to be given. By God giving us the Holy Spirit, he is quite literally assuring us you are going to experience the fullness of what you are tasting right here, right? Because because we have the Holy Spirit, we taste, we have a foretaste of some of the realities of heaven that we're going to be experiencing. What do we have in the Spirit? We have freedom from the dominion of sin. We do not have to yield to sin. Now we do, because we're still in this fleshly body that still has fleshly cravings and we are still imperfect people, but in the time to come, we're gonna have new bodies. We're gonna have perfect bodies that are unable to give in to sin. And so that dominion from sin is going to be 100% completed, right? We also experience healing, right? When we come to Jesus, there's a lot of stuff we come with in our soul, a lot of like, uh, a lot of, catastrophic things that happen as a result of sin in our soul, right? God delivers us, frees us uh, from the dominion of sin, but also gives us forgiveness from our sins. But a lot of those wounds are still in our soul, and we have to work through them. It spends a lifetime working through these things. What's going to happen over there in the eternity? All of those things are going to be completely healed. And we experience some of that healing here. We'll work through things, like with counseling, or we'll work through things just by, with the Lord, and he will bring healing in some of those aspects. And we experience that healing, that taste of what it's going to be like to not have wounds in our soul, in heaven, in eternity. And so by God giving us his spirit, by placing a seal, seal on us, and the Holy Spirit being the installment, the first installment, the down payment, God is basically saying, I am absolutely going to save you. Utmostly. So like in Hebrews, right? In Hebrews, it talks like Jesus is able to save to the utmost. So not only just save, but save to the uttermost. Save you completely. And so... This is God's promise. This is why he's the promised Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus said to his disciples, if I don't go, if I don't ascend, if I don't leave you, the Holy Spirit will not come. And he has to, 
because the Holy Spirit seals you into the salvation that you have believed, and he preserves your faith throughout the entire life that you are going to be experiencing. Now, we're going to get into uh, some, some of the things that come up with that, like, like what, do we, what do we do with uh, people who seem to walk away from the faith, and what do we do with you know, maybe we have a son or a daughter who used to be Christian, right? I have brothers who said and professed that they were Christians, but they're not now. What do we do with that? If the Spirit preserves our faith, what do we do with instances like that? And we're not going to get into all of it today, but I want to... Um, I want to unpack a little bit about what we are going to be receiving in full. Right? We, have a, we have a taste of it here. But the scriptures are clear. Paul is clear that we are going to be receiving something grand, huge. And I want us to know, because the eternal perspective, right? The eternal perspective is necessary for us to be able to stay focused in our earthly pursuit of holiness and our walk with Jesus. And so Romans 8.11 says this, If the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So it's through the Holy Spirit that you're going to receive an immortal body. Right? Paul says, like, life is going to swallow your mortality. That is a beautifully poetic way of saying your body is going to be made perfect. Right? Romans 8.23, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 50 through 58. This is probably one of the most beautiful passages on this idea that you can read. I, 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. This is what it says. Listen closely to what Paul says. This is him writing to his, the same people. This is 1 Corinthians. This is, he's, he's kind of rehashing something that he's already written to them before. But this is what he says. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. He's talking about people who are still alive. So if you die before Jesus comes back, your dead body will raise a perfect body. If you are still alive when Jesus comes back, your body, imperfect, will be changed perfect. Right? So either way, whether you die or you're alive, you're getting a perfect body if you believe in Jesus. Amen? Right? So, for the perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must, be, must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. 
O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the Lord, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That is a beautiful passage. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. That is a beautiful way of saying death will be no more. Right? One of our passages the past, uh, these past weeks was Revelation 21 and 22. What happens to death in that time? It, it doesn't exist. There is no death. God says death will be no more. Sin will be no more. Tears will be no more. Pain will be no more. For the old things have passed away and the new has come. And so Paul, he just got done talking about affli afflictions in, verse, in chapter 4. In verse 5, he leads into talking about the heavenly dwelling and our bodies and all these things. Why is he doing this? Why is he, why is he kind of honing in on these things and talking about the Spirit as a seal and a guarantee for these things, this inheritance? Why? Because when we go through suffering and when we go through affliction, what do we do? We turn inward. We turn inward and we think that God has left us. We think that God is absent. We think that God does not hear us. We think that this stuff is in vain. Everything that I'm doing is in vain. It's just being swallowed up by suffering. And God places in his word and says, no, it feels like that, but in the end, suffering is going to be swallowed up by life. Pain is going to be swallowed up by life. And that word swallowed actually means drowned. Like pain, suffering, sin, death will be drowned in life. It's a beautifully poetic way of saying that all things are going to be made new. So, back to this question that this kind of raises in us. Because, okay, this is beautiful, Pastor Mara. This is amazing. Okay, I th thank you. The, like the spirit, sealing, guarantee, the inheritance, I know that, that's awesome. But I have a friend who used to be a Christian and isn't a Christian anymore. I have myself walked away at fi from the faith multiple times. I, you know, like we experience all these things. How do we deal with that? What is that? It raises a question, can we lose our salvation? Can we lose this thing? This, this beautiful thing that we have believed and placed our life in, is it possible for us to lose that? This is an important question, and it's been debated over church history, and I don't want to make light of it, because a lot of us have family in here who maybe grew up Christian and is not anymore, or doesn't profess to be. Many of us know people like that. And that is a very hard place to be in when you are questioning your faith. We don't want to make light of that pain of holding on to Jesus and feeling like you are now on the edge of giving it all up because Jesus just isn't showing up. It does not feel like God cares about this or about me. And so we don't want to make light of that. 
But the Bible, I believe, is clear on this. Here's a few passages. John 10, 27-29. My sheep, Jesus is talking about his, the believers, his flock, the people he shepherds. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Not one will be snatched out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Romans 8, 38-39, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, no height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation that includes us. We are a created being. We'll be able to separate us from the love of Christ in the Lord Jesus. It's a hard thing. And we don't understand all of it. We can't pretend like we understand why some people profess to be followers of Jesus and then give it up. We can't pretend that's a very real thing. But what we do know is that Jesus doesn't save you and then leave it up to you to maintain your salvation. He doesn't do that. Because if he did, we would all lose it. Right? We would lose it. Because we all fall short of the glory of God. That didn't end when Jesus saved you. Every day, we fall short of the glory of God. And the only reason we're not condemned for that is because we have been given the Holy Spirit who preserves our faith and has sealed us into the salvation that we have believed in Jesus. That's the only reason. And so, we can be assured, though we struggle with that question, and there will be times when maybe you might possibly have the temptation to think, man, is this worth it? Is it worth it to continue to walk on this road that is very, 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 very narrow? That Jesus says is very narrow. But you can be assured that if you have the Holy Spirit, he will preserve your small faith. We are the O of little faith that Jesus talks about, right? And he cares much about little faith. And he's given us his Holy Spirit to preserve that faith. He can deal with our our faulty, small, weak faith, because it's not up to us, right? We weren't saved by merit of our own works or righteousness. How can we then, by our own works and righteousness, lose that? We can't. So, um, Why is this important, right? Why is this important for you and for me as we're walking with Jesus? Why is this important, right? Because, I mean, we just go about our life. We do the things that we're called to do. Sometimes I just don't even think about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Honestly, I just don't. Sometimes I just don't. I just, I read my Bible, I pray, I do what I have to do, and that's that. And I don't really think about, oh, I have the Holy Spirit of God inside of me who is empowering me to do anything for God that is pleasing in his sight. But why is this so important, this idea of being sealed and the guarantee of the Spirit for the inheritance to come? So I want to share with you, and I got permission, a story of one of our students. I'm not going to say his name. But uh, this student is 
you know, at the end of youth group, I always say, if you need prayer, talk to one of the leaders. We're all here for you. This student is the only one that always comes up and asks for prayer. And I don't take that lightly. I mean, that is a beautiful, and I tell them, like, don't lose that. Don't lose leaning on other believers to, to band with you and to hold you together and to pray with you. But one of the things that he brought up one time was the struggle with his thought life, right? He was struggling just with different thoughts, wrong thoughts. And he said, like, it's just, it's a lot of, it's a lot of junk, a lot of garbage, a lot of thoughts that, like, I just have trouble keeping up with all of them and asking Jesus for forgiveness for every single one of them. And it's just exhausting. Like, I just feel like I can't catch up. And to be honest, many of us feel that. Like, many of us feel like, man, the sins are just piling up. I can't catch up asking for forgiveness for every single one. God, I, I can't catch up doing this. I, like, I'm falling behind in my salvation and my walk with you. Like, I just can't keep up with the depravity of my own soul. This is important for us to understand this because you and I have the temptation every day, a very dangerous temptation. Um, and it's to fall into this idea of a works-based self-reliance of attempting to maintain our salvation in Christ on our own strength. It's the temptation of trying to do it all with only our understanding, only our strength, and to just keep up with everything. I want to encourage you. God has not called you to keep a tally of all your thoughts. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? And I always say this. God has called you to analyze your thought life. He has called you to analyze your heart and look at your own heart and look at the sin and look at these different ways where you fall short and to bring those things to him. Definitely he has called us to that and to holy living. But if we're honest, we just do not have the capacity to know all of the ways that we fall short in a given day. We just don't. The Bible talks of hidden sins, right? Things that we don't even realize we're doing or thinking that are sinful to God. And so it's just, it's just impossible to keep up. You will exhaust you yourself in your faith by attempting to do this. What we should be doing, aside from doing that, is keeping in step with the Spirit, Galatians 5. Living in the Spirit. Yielding to the Spirit. And when those things come up, when we realize, okay, I've had a bunch of bad thoughts today, we confess those things to God. We say, God, I've had some thoughts today that have not been pleasing to you. God is not expecting you to go through and remember every single thought that popped into your mind that was displeasing to him. He just wants you to recognize that you've had some bad thoughts that were displeasing and you want to give those things to him. He knows them. He knows all the ways that we sin. He knows all the ways that we struggle. And when we are struggling and we know the specific things, we confess those things. But we do not have to burden ourselves by trying to attempt to keep track of all of the ways that we fall short. God knows our frame, the psalm says. He knows that we are dust. He knows that we are fragile. He knows that we are weak. And he has given us his spirit to preserve our faith. And when those things come up, we confess them. We lay them down before him. But in that moment, 
It's done. God has forgiven you of that sin. He is just and faithful to forgive us of our sins and wash us and make us clean. And it's by his spirit that he does all of this. So I want to encourage you with this passage before we leave today. So we've talked about the sealing of the Holy Spirit, that he is the guarantee of the inheritance, that he is working in us things that will make us authentic believers, things that line up with what we believe about God that will prove the genuineness of our faith. And right now, it doesn't feel complete because it's not. It's not complete. You're in a process called sanctification. You are continually being made more holy day by day. It's not going to happen overnight. But Paul, knowing this, writes to these believers in Philippi, and he says this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. All the stuff that we work on, that God is working in us in this process, all the stumbling, all the stuff that God is doing in us as we walk with him, he is going to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. When Jesus comes again, our salvation, our work, our sanctification will be complete. And that is a beautiful thing to look forward to. And that hope should fuel our life here and our endeavors here and our fight against sin and our preaching of the gospel. It should fuel all of that. And so today, or this week, let's all read 1 Corinthians 15, right? That beautiful passage, let's read the whole chapter because that whole chapter deals with resurrection, And it's a beautiful chapter to keep our minds on. Also, let's read Ephesians Ephesians chapter 1. Again, in Ephesians, Paul talks a lot about the blessings that we inherit because of the Spirit. Everything that is given to us as a benefit of the salvation that we have in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 goes in depth about all those things. And it's always helpful to read that because it's a great reminder of what we have received in Jesus, truly. And for prayer, focus on the theme of eternal inheritance and future resurrection. Pray in accordance with those truths. Pray, Lord, I, I just, I am so caught up in here that I don't even look forward to that right now. I don't have time. I am so down with what's happening in this life that I can't even have mental capacity to think about the next life. Would you please give me capacity to make that the priority to help me to to be who you've called me to be here. Simple prayer. Apply this. How does this truth of the Spirit sealing you for the day of redemption encourage you in your walk with Christ? How does this encourage you as a believer? But also, how does it challenge you? Again, many of us are susceptible to falling into this works-based self-reliance, let me maintain my salvation, Is there any of that in your heart? Have you been trying to maintain your salvation when God is not calling you to maintain it? He's calling you to work it out, but only by the power of of the Spirit. And so let's lean into those things, read those chapters, pray that, apply that, really engage with God's Word with that. And um, again, if you have questions and if you need help or prayer with anything, you can always reach out to us, the elders any one of your fellow believers are capable of praying for you. And so I encourage you to do so. 
Um, but I'm going to pray, and then we will close in one more song. Lord, I just, um, we just confess uh, our susceptibility to attempt to do the things that only you can do in our life, in our walk with you. Forgive us for trying to be the Holy Spirit. And we may not say that, but it's the Holy Spirit who preserves our faith, not us. And so I just, we just pray and we confess that before you. Lord, make us people who are reliant on the Holy Spirit, dependent on the Holy Spirit, because that is the reason you gave him to us. He is the promise for the believers to empower them for gospel living, to preserve their faith, and to authenticate the genuineness of our faith in you. Lord, thank you that you have given us your very spirit in us, living in us. Help us to remember the privilege and honor that is, that on no merit of our own, you have given us your Holy Spirit. And so I pray for those who are here, Lord, I, I pray, Jesus, for those who are struggling to keep up with all of the ways that they fall short. And I pray against the voice of the enemy who may say, look at this tally list. Look at this immense list. You think God wants to save you with this? I pray against that voice. God has already saved us, knowing very well our lists. And so we just lean into your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would give us power to yield to, your, to our spirit or to your spirit in temptation and times of doubt and in times of struggle. And would you give us joy of your spirit, Lord, to know and anticipate the inheritance that is going to come because we taste it now partially. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus. We say all of this in your mighty name. Amen. Hey everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.